Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 246. And I'm going to start spreading out the puppy ones. Um, so then I will next week I will do the next puppy series because uh, people are taking time with their puppies. And I'm going to do a, a little bit different one today. Uh, and oftentimes I do these things based on you know, certain experiences and things that have happened to me recently. And, I, and I'm going to do that. And the one today is going to be about dog trainers. I'm going to talk about professional dog trainers. So if, you know, if you're not interested in that, that's I get that. But I, I, I want to go on the record because, you know, and I'm no spring chicken, obviously, you know, considering how long I've done this and, and number of dogs and all that kind of thing. And I don't really always fit into this world the way it is anymore. You know, I, I have kids, young adult kids. So I get reminded a lot of times when I'm getting a little bit out of step with how things are. But in terms of um, integrity and, well, let's just say integrity. In, in terms of integrity, if that goes out of style, you know, I need to go to Mars with, uh, with uh, what's his name? I, I, I get, because I can't be here if integrity is not... Uh, a really important part of any business, but particularly business dealing with living things. I think that if you ever send a child to a babysitter or daycare or a, a school, um, that you have every belief that when your infant or toddler or child goes off and is in the care of somebody else, that they are in good care that things aren't going to happen to them. Nobody's going to do stuff that they're not going to tell you about. And it should be the same way with our animals. Now, granted, a, a human child, you know, they're a little step above a dog or a horse or something like that. But still, they are, and for some people, they are their kids. And so sending your animal off to somebody is very uh, significant or at least should be. They're not really expendable. Now, if they are just a commodity, you know, like sending off your cattle to graze on a certain field, and if one of them steps in a hole and breaks her leg or gets bit by a rattlesnake, you know, it's like, well, that's just how it works. If that's how somebody looks at dogs, I certainly am not the one to listen to. But if this animal has personal meaning to you and personal value, and I'll just put it that way, you know, usually when somebody sends a dog off, people that have sent me dogs for the last 30-some years, right? when they've done that, it's because this dog had a lot of potential and they, had, they thought, okay, let's send it here and the dog will be taken care of and then I will be able to get these certain titles on it or this certain level of training so that then I can you know, do whatever my plans were with this dog. And the dog is, their value has increased. Money's been put into them and the value of the dog has increased, whether it's literally by the litters of puppies that they can produce or have, or whether it's by their performance. You know, now you can go hunting anywhere in the world and you have this awesome dog that gets the game. So there is a lot of value. And I don't know how often people, and or even frankly, how often trainers think about this. But I just want to talk about dog trainers a little bit. So it, it seems like, and I can remember feeling this myself when I was new, it, you know, it seems kind of 
cool. It's kind of glamorous. What a cool life. You know, you drive these big rigs and they cost a bunch of money and, and you have all these dogs and you look like you know what you're doing because people are paying you and putting their dogs with you and you drive up and particularly if you, when you start getting kind of decent at it. You know, it's like, oh, they're so-and-so. They're really good. And, and however you run the order of pickup in a set of marks, everyone behind you runs it, you know, and it's just like a big ego thing where <laughs> people think it's cool. Um, and I will, let me just tell you the truth of being a trainer, a serious trainer, of uh, one who earns their entire living off of doing it and takes it dead nut serious. It is not glamorous. It is not easy. It, it, the glamour thing, no. no you, you, you know, might have a cool truck if you've been around, you know, either just leveraged yourself to death to have the cool stuff or you waited long enough to be able to pay for it. You might you have the cool stuff, right? But that's just expense. <laughs> that's a huge expense. It's a liability. You know, you kind of, over, over time, taxes, you can kind of, reduce it out but it, it's a huge expense and then you got to take care of it and then if it breaks down in the middle of nowhere North Dakota you've got to find a way to get it fixed you have all these animals that you have to take care of and they can't live in the little box in the heat or the cold so there's a tremendous amount of responsibility and a tremendous amount of work now in my business I never hired somebody else to take care of my dogs to feed them to air them to load the trucks I know when you're really cool that's what you do. <laughs> I just could never do it. Um, just because for me, I wanted to make sure, see, in the morning, are, are the dogs okay? Right? Is everybody okay? Is somebody coming in season? Um, is somebody got diarrhea? Did somebody throw up? Did somebody drink their entire bucket of water or nothing at all? In any case, I always wanted to see that. I wanted to see um, them relieve themselves so I could see about the health and stuff like that. And I'm not touting like I'm this hot shot and the standard. I'm just saying that's how important that was to me. I, I could have paid somebody else to go do that, and I could walk up there with my cup of coffee and get into the truck and head out to do what I was going to do. But I would not know. I, I would not know. The person who endorses the checks would not know for sure that everybody was tip-top shape. So then, you know, you got to do the training. And you've got to do the training of all the dogs, the ones you like, ones you don't like. You've got to do it on days when it's hot, days when it's cold. If it's too hot or too cold, you make adjustments. You can train indoors, in a garage, in a basement. You can do things like that. There's always things that you can do. You know, you can find an indoor arena somewhere on some days and do some of your work there. If it's 110 or it's, it's 10 below zero and 40 mile an hour winds outside. You have to train dogs almost every day. I mean, that's just, you have to do that. Otherwise, why would someone pay you to occasionally take care of their dog and then watch a lot of, you know, or play video games in the house? I mean, that's just unthinkable to me. I know, old school, probably people laugh at it. And then it, when you're done, one, when you train all of them, you don't, can't train them all the same. You got to adjust, hopefully, for every individual, do what's necessary, give them the time to make progress. And it's not how much time a day you're spent training the dog. It's the progress you make every day in training. So some days that's just force fetching nothing else. 
Some days it's running big marks. Some days it's just working on a specific thing. So it's not so much how many hours a day do you train them, but are are they progressing every day in a way that is meaningful for the dollar of that client? And then at the end of the day, when you have worked everybody, regardless if your foot hurts, if you have a headache, now if you're sick, obviously not. But basically, like any other traditional job in the world, you expect it to pretty much be there most of the time. When you have living things, you have to be there all the time. It doesn't matter. You have a headache, don't feel good, you know, depressed, you know, somebody such and such is happening. You know, my I shared my entire marriage falling apart on this thing and still trained entitled dogs in the middle of all that because that's what I was paid to do, okay? So... That's a dog trainer life is is a lot of accountability, a lot of responsibility, and basically with living things, you're like a dairy farmer. It's every day, all day, because not only do you train them to run a blind retrieve or be steady in the upland field or whatever it is, you also have to make sure that they are healthy, that they're okay, that they are also good citizens. They're not just turning into wild, crazy kennel dogs, except for when you get out and do stuff with them. So much to it. And it's always, it's even on Sundays when you have a day off, still got to make sure the dogs still have to be taken care of, aired, fed, outside, relieve themselves, healthy, all that stuff. So being a dog trainer is not glamorous. If you get good enough that you go do well in events, you win field trials, you pass your dogs at the hunt test fairly consistently, right? If you get to that point, it isn't because you're cool and have a great truck. It's because you worked your you-know-what off day after day after day, had failures, made mistakes, learned lessons, stayed at it, got good advice from good people, and just kept working on it. That's why when somebody walks up to the line and does well, that's why. Because of a lot of work. So as opposed to going, oh, look at that. You know, maybe a little respect because of what it took to get there. It's like people listen to this podcast because they want to get better than they are. And it's not an easy thing if you take it seriously. So let's just kill the glamour thing. And on the other side of that, I have watched dog trainers in events act like they were something special. You know, that they should be able to park up front because after all, I have more dogs to run than you guys. Or I should this. Or if you guys all have to wait because I'm over there, that's your problem. I am I put more money into this test or trial than any of you. And all this special stuff, and I'll tell you my entire life, never bought that one time. As I have often told people when they go, oh, here, you know, and say nice things about work I've done and who I was and stuff like that. It was like... I remember several doctors have said that to me. Oh, yeah, you've, I'm like, are you flipping kidding? You save people's lives. You do things for people so their life for the rest of it is way better than it would have been if they didn't have you in their life. I get their dog to bring the duck all the way back and hand it to them. I'm not sure that in the, you know, when we're all at the pearly gates counting up what we've contributed, mine's really, I just didn't hurt people. I didn't hurt dogs. Hurt some ducks, I guess, but the th- I don't just don't think dog training. It's it's an admirable thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do. It certainly deserves respect, but dog trainers are not these special humans, right? A lot of them are there doing that because they don't make it so well in the other part of the world. 
Some people train dogs because that's all they can do. Now, some people train dogs because that's what they're really good at, and they could do a lot of other things. But I, dog trainers are not something special where you go, ooh, there's... I mean, even if Mike Lardy and Danny Farmer walk by, um, awesome, there's some people that have worked very hard. I'm not going to go, oh, I wonder if I could go talk to them. Yeah, that's just insane. So, it, just, again, dog trainers aren't saving lives, except for those people that are training the dogs that save people's lives. That's pretty cool. But most of us in the hunting world, it's a recreation we're like a tennis coach, okay, or <laughs> golf coach. That's cool, but it doesn't in the end. It's not a big deal, and that's a fact. And so I don't think people should forget about that. Another thing that I want to say about trainers is because you have, like, a really cool website, which is basically just mandatory now because that's the primary method of communication. So I have seen beautiful websites by great people. I have seen beautiful compelling well worded by trainers who have killed dogs in their training not just once but good lord their website is great and so somebody will be talking to me and so i saw so-and-so's website oh my goodness and they have this series of this and that out and i'm just sitting there thinking about all the stuff i know they've done and and i've known personally there's some i've trained myself that is like i wouldn't send a caterpillar to that person um, but their websites are so beautiful. And what they write about and how they describe themselves. And of course, beautiful pictures of dogs is very compelling. But you can get that anywhere. And it's not how great they say they are. I've done this or that. That's not what it is. The best way to find out how the value of a trainer is to talk to a whole bunch of people who have had them, that person train their dog. And preferably more than once, and preferably not one person or two people or a family, but a lot of different people. That's where you, that's going to be where the answer is. Those people who have paid that person money and, and been with them and done stuff, what they say, and it can't be just a couple, but if it's a lot of people and the reputation is pretty strong, that's very helpful information. Not a website and pictures of dogs um so that's that's important the other thing is um it's interesting to watch people talk about what their accomplishments are now for some it's really obvious and i'll go back to let's the conventional retriever stuff danny farmer and mike lardy well mike's won seven national championships danny's won i can't four something like that i could be wrong on danny you know, and they've trained over 100 field champions, 100. I don't know how many more than that. You know, they've done so much amazing stuff. So you have the feeling that, you know, maybe they kind of know what they're doing. So you got to be careful. If somebody's titled, let's go to the hunt test world, more of my audience here. If somebody's done a lot of junior hunters or started dogs, that's nice. That's not a bad thing. But that, those are, that's a lot easier of a standard to meet and a lot easier to do. So, again, let's go find out what other things they've done. And it's not just counting titles. Titles is, is a big deal. Um, whenever I start, and I, I'll throw out some of my stuff because I've done 90 Grandmaster Pointing Retrievers. I don't, dozens of 4Xs, I don't count them. 
I just didn't. But I've always counted that every time another grandmaster, I get that it was 90. And I, I don't know why, but I use that figure sometimes to show people that, you know how many times I've been in the master field? <laughs> if I pass 90 of them at least twice, right, um, that's 180 if there was never a fail. And it's a lot more than that. So it, that is something that at least tells you that there is consistency, that there is not only in, in the, the work they've done, but the results and the customers and things like that. So finding out what they've done, the real test, the absolute ultimate test in watching a, a trainer is to watch them from their vehicle as they air the dog, as they go to the holding blinds, as they go to the line, and then at the line, what does their dog look like? And what kind of work does the dog do? And when they do, what is their attitude? You know, are they afraid? It, that's not an uncommon thing to see. A dog that's over there going, oh, gosh, I hope I don't make a mistake. Or you see them, you know, where they're basically half out of control, which is, you know, I wouldn't say equally undesirable, but also undesirable. I don't, the scared thing, I, you know, makes me nauseous. But if they're just a wild and out of control, it's like, okay, we could probably train a little more, <laughs> ask a little more of these dogs, but just watch the person and their dogs, but not just standing at the line. I don't know, folks, how many stories I have heard and a couple times I've seen where somebody gets their dog out of their vehicle, they think nobody's looking out of their trailer or truck, and they wail on it with a, a healing stick or a choke chain. Also, sometimes when they're really mad, they come back and wail on them when they don't think anybody's looking. Now, for one, I'll tell on somebody who does that every time. That's like a nasty little kid. I will go to whomever and let them know what's happening and what I saw. And people should uh, record that stuff with their cell phones if they see it. Because if you don't stop them, and they're doing that at a test, can you imagine what they do on a hot day when they're tired and have a headache and they don't like this dog and they're all by themselves? That stuff happens, folks. That stuff happens. So the character of the individual who's training your dog has to be of, in my opinion now, such a high value that if they have a dog that tried to bite them, because it doesn't like being made to do stuff, like behave. And, it, you know, they have a headache because for some reason, and, you know, they, they got bit in the hand and their hand hurts and there's nobody around and it's hot and they still got another hour and a half and they just really want to go in the house and have some dinner and sit down and get away from all this stuff. They have to do, when you're in that situation, there's nobody around, right? That's something my dad was a very mean person used to say a lot growing up as a kid to me and all of us say the measure of who you are is what you do when nobody is looking but I'll tell you that has stuck with me <laughs> doing homework in school all kinds of stuff and it's very very much when I'm out with dogs and it's like God, I just want to go and sit I just oh, I'm just and I sit there and go really no one no one will know you you train 12 dogs and you got three more but who'd know if you didn't well, I would. Me and the big guy upstairs. So character in a dog trainer is very important. 
Also, again, in my opinion, the ability to continue to work hard physically, mentally, psychologically, even when the, it's tough. I think that, I don't know, you know, a lot of, I like see a lot of trainers. There's some great ones out there. There's some people I love and respect. And I look at some people and go, do you train? You don't look like you could make it from the truck out to the short bird. I mean, I don't even know how that works because um, right before I got booted out of my place and had to stop training, I would average, I do a lot of upland work now, I would average probably 18,000 to 25,000 steps a day. You know, it's just like, I, I don't know, help my Ironman training stuff. How do you train dogs and not do that? I have no idea. So part of a trainer is also somebody who can hustle it up and keep working when it's hard, when no one's looking, when there's still three more dogs, and this one just tried to bite you, and they keep going. That that stuff matters. And another thing that they need should be able to do, any trainer worth giving your money to should be able to explain the why of everything. So if they tell you, I need to force fetch your dog, and you can say, well, I don't, I don't think you do. You know, all my other dogs weren't force fetched. They were great. That trainer should be able to sit there and say, well, this is why. I believe this dog should be force fetched. And give you a reason that's good enough that you'll go, okay. If they can't, then they're just going through motions on stuff because, well, that's just what you do. So you don't always know. If you're getting everything that, if your dog is getting everything that it needs and for the right reason. Or does this person going to adjust to my dog? She's very sensitive. Or she's not sensitive at all. She really doesn't care. And so you've got to convince her. Are they going to be able to make those adjustments? That's, that's uh, super important. Now, two other things I'm going to mention on the trainer thing. One, if you're sending your dog off and it's going to live with somebody for a while. Now, I'm having said this starting from, you know, when my ex-husband and I first got together and we built a training business. Okay, we didn't have the facilities we had there at the end because that's a lot of money. And we couldn't have, we couldn't just, and we did, opted out of the in-debt thing, right? Well, let's not buy all the big fancy stuff right now. And, and he came from... He worked with Danny Farmer, and so they had, you know, the best of everything. And we had to kind of start over, and we did. And we had kennels, good, solid kennels, good, salt, but they were not inside of a building. And the, the airing yard was, per, was fenced great. They could, we fed the best food, blah, blah, blah. We did the very best we could without, because we didn't have enough money for the huge capital things. But people were invited, welcome to see where their dogs stayed, what their dogs ate, how their dogs were handled, how they, they could see everything. Nothing was ever hidden from anybody. And it was as top shelf as we could get at the time. So when you're brand new, you can't have the trick, trick, trick stuff. And if somebody has leveraged themselves and just with credit got all the fancy stuff, they really, really need your money. That's a danger. That's a bad business person. You know, so that one would that one would concern me. And most people aren't that silly. But if when you send your dog off to a trainer, I don't care where it is, they should be good in all weather. They should be good in all weather. They should be housed where no other dog can get to them and they can get to no other dog. 
for a variety of reasons. So they don't fight. So they don't get bred. So they don't get an eye put out because somebody was trying to jump over the fence. So there's some things I don't care whether you're starting or you've been around forever. The dog should be safe 100% of the time. The dog should be, this is my opinion now, not all trainers agree, have an outside airing yard so that when you let them out of their confinement in their kennel, they can run loose but not away. And so they can air and run around, socialize. Dogs that should be together are together. And then they can be put back and kept clean. Also, cleanliness. Um, cleanliness. You should be able, if you went into your dog kennel on a Sunday afternoon and it was filthy, I would be very, very concerned. So cleanliness is super important. Most people's dogs are house dogs. They're housebroken. They're clean. They're quiet. You do not want to send your dog off to a trainer where all of that gets undone. I know some trainers, you know, they leave them in the kennel. If I'm not working them, they can just stay in there. I'll have the help go scoop the poop out and rinse it out. So they don't even get out. Uh, unthinkable to me. <laughs> it's just unthinkable. I was like, well, I'll just leave my kid in its crib for three days and change the diaper. You know, that's good. It's the same thing. So cleanliness is very important. And the food they feed is very important. And, and I'll give you a little insider tip. If you go into their kennel and there's one bag of dog food sitting in it, and they got 20 dogs or some people have 80 dogs, um, <clears throat> I would just say, well, where do you store the dog food? <laughs> so be, make sure that there's plenty of... Now, if they have an entire building full of it, it's going to get old and stale. So in fact, when you do bulk feeding of dogs in a fairly high volume, you need to get frequent shipments instead of huge shipments and keep it for a month or two because the fatty acids and stuff in the dog food that are important to performance animals to athletes degrades and it you lose a lot of the value that is in there and so you want somebody uh, what you should do speaking from experience we used to get a shipment every two weeks every two weeks a fresh shipment and so it sat at the very longest for 13 days and then it started over. So those are the kind of things I would pay a lot of attention to. Also, is their place clean? Is it clean outside? Is it clean inside? Do they have attention to detail on keeping things looking sharp and nice? Are things run down? Are, you know, the fences sagging? Is it where dogs can get from one place to another without, uh, you know, somebody watching? Got to be so careful about that. So... Finally, I, I I think the most two most important things in picking a trainer is not the website and what they say to you, or even if they're just really cool looking and have all kind of cool stuff. That's all nice, you know. That's great stuff. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a good website and good words and counting up how many senior hunters you've gotten. But the the most important thing is what do all the people that have utilized this person for the last five years or ten years say? They should let you talk to anybody you want. Um, look at their dogs. Look at their facilities. If they're keeping you out of something, not seeing something, there's a reason. Um, if they don't let you ever see your dog, <laughs> that's really bad. Okay, and you should be able to get pictures and videos of your dogs. I used to tell people, I'll send you videos just so you see their face and see they're okay. 
because um, you can tell, you know, if they're looking like I'm, they're looking frightened and scared or whether they're looking the way they would hope they would look. They, you should be able to get pictures and videos of your dog. Above all, the integrity of the person that you want to send your beloved creature to and your money to needs to be somebody that you can completely trust. And, w- and when I say trust, for me, it was it's huge. Like I said, these people, if you're competing, they're going to take your dog across the United States in a little box on their trailer or their truck. You know, are they going to drive? I know a couple, one real well-known trainer drove from uh, California all the way back to Texas, never stopped. Most of the dogs were dead when he got home. They just weren't going to stop. They just probably had water in the thing, and they overheated, and it killed a bunch of them. I, I, I don't know. You should be in jail for that. You just should be in jail for that. So it's got to be somebody that's going to stop when they're tired. Maybe it's even dark. They got to stop, and they got to air your dog and let them get out and relieve themselves and water them and make sure they're fed every day and and don't. That's not teaching them to just go in their kennels. One guy I knew design had his his uh, kennel system designed for traveling. So if they urinated or relieved themselves, it just fell through the floor and out onto the road. It's like, so they're going to learn to just relieve themselves while traveling in the box. Um, again, unthinkable. <laughs> That's, that should be a clean place. No trailer or truck people should ever stink. It might smell like wet dogs because, you know, they've been training or competing. But it should not smell or have little pieces of urine or excrement coming out underneath the door. That is a terrible sign because somebody is just leaving them in there. So the smell is, you know, there's people known for how bad their stuff smells. One trainer from several years ago who wound up killing, I think, 41 dogs or 70 dogs. I don't remember just let them die in the trailers, in the kennels, just let them, just horrendous. I think he got a misdemeanor for it and left the state. But when he came to the very last event he ever did, people would walk by. I remember walking by going, holy, it's like something is dead on there. And it was, it was. And yet nobody says a word, except my daughter who goes, did you see his dogs all run away from him? Um, <laughs> so... Man, just because somebody's a trainer doesn't mean stay away and don't be concerned about their dogs. Because, you know, that was a horrendous situation. And a lot of animals suffer terribly because nobody ever checked up or questioned when, well, no, I don't have your dog right now, but I'll. Nobody questioned that. So if I were a consumer of trainer services, I'd be a pain in the neck until I had total trust. I really would be. They should have integrity. They should care more about your animal than your money. Mm. Just <laughs> see if you can get a feel for that. They should have enough character that the well-being of your animal trumps whether they got your money or not. In other words, they're going I've had people ask me when they didn't pay for whatever reason for a month and a half or two. And I one time I remember a guy from Texas called. He goes, I don't suppose you're training, you're probably mean to my dog. And it's like, what an insult. Oh, my gosh. I was still training the dog and still taking care of it. He was the pain. I mean, I can't even remember if I ever did get the money from him. But that dog was absolutely fine because that dog didn't do anything to me. 
It was him. But he assumed, I guess, I had his character and that I was going to be, I don't know, ignoring it. I don't know what. He thought it was something terrible. So you need a trainer that the dog means more than your money. And, you know, there's not a lot of them. And you need to know that, do whatever it is you need to do to get a feel that this person on the hardest and most difficult of days is going to do right by that dog and by you. And that you can trust that. And animals should not be, now stuff happens, you know, they'll run through a fence. I've had a dog slit the top of its, the skin on top of its head. You know, we ran it and we had to super glue it and all that. Those things happen. Ears get torn, seeds in the eyes, uh, grass seed sucked into someplace it shouldn't be. That kind of thing happens. And what you want is somebody who immediately responds to it. Torsion is another thing. That can happen. But if somebody doesn't go in and look at the dog and go, boy, they just sure seem lethargic. If the trainer's not there, somebody's just going, there, that one's there. I fed him. We're good. You can lose dogs from torsion. So there's, you really need somebody that's, you know, stuff can happen, but you need somebody that's on top of the situation. So stuff that's unavoidable, uh, you get it addressed quickly if for the best of your dog and your money and investment in that dog. And the other thing is dogs should not run away. Dogs should not have avoidable things happen to them ever. But you need somebody, like I said, where the dog matters more than your money. And they keep an eye on everything, even when it's hard. Even when they're tired. No matter what. And if somebody has to fill in for them. You know when, you go, when you're traveling and you go to an event and somebody has to take care of what's left behind? Man, I'd about threaten them. <laughs> I would I'd be like, all right, I would write it down. And they knew that I would ride them if they didn't make sure that was okay. Dogs should not have bad things happen to them in the hands of trainers. Unless, it, again, it's something that cannot be helped. It's part of what the dog does. So be very demanding in the trainer thing because someone's a dog trainer. Or talks up a big story or drives a cool thing or you're, these three guys have their dog with them. Having been one for the last 30-some uh, years, I would say that if anybody's offended by you just asking a lot of questions and wanting to see things, then wonder what it is they're trying to hide. I would just say that. Um, there's, a, there's some phenomenally good people out there, and there's some people that don't even understand the depth and breadth of what it takes to be really good at this. You know, um, don't... Let them learn with you and your dog and your money. I wouldn't do that. I would go to somebody that I really had a lot of faith in. So it was. it's important to me to get this out. Um, took a lot of time. I just wanted to come from the inside trainer thing. It's hard. You know, I tell all every young person I know, I tell them, no, don't, don't go into this for a living. One, I'm not sure it's going to be going with this way the crazy world is right now, that this is kind of recreational stuff. It's going to be an option. But two, unless you are nuts passionate about this and basically it's not just kind of a job it is an entire immersive lifestyle and if you're not ready to do that then do not become a dog trainer both of my kids who grew up could have been you know could have been dog trainers could have just walked right into the business and taken it all both of them said never in a million years would I be a dog trainer I would like to have a life 
And I don't want to have to work that hard because they watch their mom and their dad. Um, you know, basically, that's that was everything. And they're all, that's why they're so good at bird planting and bird shooting and bird throwing and all that stuff. But they, they got the heck out of there as soon as they could. It's a, it's, you just got to be a little bit crazy and completely passionate and have extraordinarily high ethics, openness, and honesty. I'm going to leave it with that. Um, and I'm sure I've been somewhat offensive, but I really don't care because I was always on the side of the dogs and <laughs> will be to my last breath. I just feel terrible for what a lot of dogs have to go through. And I, you know, a lot of them, some of them don't make it. So that's today's, um, anybody that's trained or shopping, do it real wisely. Watch the dogs and talk to a lot of people. That's it. I will be back. We got a big hunt test this coming weekend right here. Uh, APLA tests. And then, man, we're hitting it hard. So I'll try to get in as many of these as I can. Wish the best to everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I will be back soon.